Lord, help us to be able to look at this passage and learn something from your scriptures. Lord, we love you so much. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're here in uh, John chapter number 3. And like I said, it's a very, very well-known passage, very uh, familiar passage. And it's probably uh, one of the most popular passages in scripture. And I, I have having a hard time trying to think of a passage that might be more popular than John chapter number 3. I mean, John 3.16, uh, you can go to you know, football games and, and baseball games and, and watch people hold up signs and say John 3.16 on them. It's just a very, very well-known passage. But there's, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of uh, information in John chapter number 3, so I, I want to go through it quickly. On Wednesday nights, we're kind of just doing a Bible study, and um, we read there uh, in John chapter number 3, the, the, the part we're going to be dealing with this uh, tonight is really just this this uh, conversation that Jesus Christ had with Nicodemus. So let's just get right into it. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. The Bible says that he came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So, we understand Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night. Uh, more than likely, he came to Jesus by night so that people wouldn't see him coming to Jesus. Because, uh, like we said, he was a Pharisee, he was a ruler, and he probably just didn't want people to know that a Pharisee or a ruler or a master of the Jews would be coming to Jesus Christ. So he came to him um, by the cover of night. And for whatever it's worth, Nicodemus acknowledged that Jesus was a teacher that came from God. That's what he said. He said, uh, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Now, he doesn't necessarily uh, believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, or that, he, that Jesus is the Christ, or that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but he at least believes that Jesus is a teacher come from God, and he says, For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So for whatever it's worth, he does believe that Jesus is a, a teacher come from God, but, he, but Nicodemus, we got to understand, is unsaved, or an unbeliever. He does not believe that Jesus Christ uh, is the Savior of the world and came to save the world. Now look at verse 3. Uh, Jesus, as Nicodemus comes, that was kind of an introduction, verses 1 and 2. As Nicodemus comes, Jesus gets right to the main thing, um, and, he, and he says to him, look at verse number 3, John 3, 3 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now that term there, being born again, is a very popular term. Uh, you've probably heard it before. It gets thrown, uh, thrown around a lot, uh, referring to Christians. You, you hear uh, the media on the radio, they'll say things like, oh, those are uh, born-agains or, or born-again evangelicals. And, and that term comes from John chapter number 3. In, in this passage here, Jesus Christ said to Nicodemus, he said, uh, Verily, verily, or, or truthfully, or of a truth, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, Jesus said, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, uh, what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, the only way a man can ever see the kingdom of God, referring to heaven, can ever go to heaven, uh, spend eternity in heaven when they die, is if that man gets born again. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, Nicodemus doesn't understand this philosophy, or doesn't understand this teaching of being born again, because he's, he's thinking as a human being. He's thinking, thinking of a physical birth. And he asks a question, he said, how can a man be born when he's old? Because Nicodemus, we, we, can, you know, we can guess, uh, I, I would imagine that he was an older gentleman, being a, a Pharisee, being a ruler of the Jews. I, I, I almost always imagine him, a man maybe in his late 50s or, or early 60s, and, and he said, I'm an old man, how can I be born again? He doesn't understand that. And he says, uh, there in verse 4, uh, Nicodemus said to him, how can I man be born when he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's saying, can I go back into my mother's womb? Can I go back into my mother's uh, uh, body and be born again? Look at verse 5. Jesus explains to him what he's talking about when Jesus Christ said, you must be born again. Uh, verse 5, he says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water 
and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, Jesus Christ explains to him again in verse 5, he says, A man has to be born of, number one, water, and number two, of the Spirit, or else he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we understand that the only way someone can enter the kingdom of God is to be born of water and to be born of the Spirit. Look at verse 6. He goes on to explain it again further. Because what is that water birth? When he says, you've got to be born of water and you've got to be born of the Spirit, what is he referring to? Now some people believe that this passage is referring to baptism, and we'll get into that in, in a little while. But um, the Bible always explains itself. And the Bible, you, as you study the Bible, it'll, it'll make sense of itself. And if you see there in John chapter number 3 and verse 5, he gives us two births. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, water number one and number two of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Look at verse 6. He explains himself even further. He says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, number one, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, number two. So that... We gather from verse comparing Scripture with Scripture, verse 5 with verse 6, that that first birth in verse 5 has to do with the same first birth mentioned in verse 6. And that second birth of the Spirit in verse 5 has to do with that second birth mentioned in verse 6, which is being born of the Spirit. So that first water birth... In its context, we see it's not baptism, and I'll give you more scripture on why it's not baptism here in a little bit, but uh, it's not baptism, it's talking about a physical birth. He said a man must be born of water and of the Spirit. Then he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. He's talking about a birth in the flesh. If, if you um, have ever been around someone who's, who's been pregnant or ready to give birth, what, what, is, it, what, what is it that they say when, when they're ready to give birth? They say, my water broke, Right? Because as soon as your water breaks, you know, you, then you're ready to give birth. If, if you're having, if you're in, if a woman is in labor and she's, uh, you know, she's just having contractions and she's been in labor for a while, but her water doesn't break, then she can't give birth. So sometimes doctors, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not advising that, that this is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just acknowledging that they do this. Sometimes doctors will have to break a woman's uh, water so that she can give birth. Uh, and you understand that, and we get that. So when Jesus said, except a man be born of water, He was saying, a person has to be born physically, and that makes sense. Someone can't be saved if they've never been born. You've got to be born physically first. So He said, Nicodemus, I'm not talking about a physical birth. Because Nicodemus said, Jesus Christ said, you must be born again. He said, well, how can I get born twice? And he was thinking two times physically. And Jesus explained to him, I, you only need to be born physically one time. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And He says, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So that second birth is a spiritual birth. That second birth, that being born again, is being born of the Spirit. Look at verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So he explains two births. A physical birth, my water broke, I'm in labor, and a spiritual birth. You see that? Now being, God uses this terminology of being born uh, because He compares Spiritual birth, salvation, because what is it? When you get born again, then you, then you what? The Bible says that you can see the kingdom of God. It said later on in the passage that you cannot enter into the kingdom of God until you're born again. So you must be born again to be saved. If you're going to go to heaven when you die, you have to be born again uh, spiritually. You've got to be born physically, we understand that, and then you've got to be born spiritually. So God is, is giving us an example, or He's comparing spiritual birth to a physical birth. And there are some comparisons to that. Now let me show you just real quick. You're in John chapter number 3. Just real quick, turn to John chapter number 1 and look at verse 12. John chapter number 1 and look at verse 12. And I'll show you why God uses that terminology of being born. John 1.12 says this, But as many as received Him, and that Him is referring to Jesus Christ, the Word. It says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name. So, according to John chapter number 1 and verse 12, who did God give the power to become the sons of God? To them that believe on Him, correct? Do you see that? It says, as many as receive Him. So, the people who receive Jesus Christ, the people who believe on His name, to those people God gives the power to become the sons of God. Now, this is a very prevalent uh, 
what I'm going to say right now is, is, a, is, is something commonly said. And um, a lot of people say it, and I think sometimes we just say it because people hear it, and we don't, maybe don't think about it. But I, I've heard this all the time, and you hear this, uh, again, when I'm listening to the news on the radio, or listen to, you know, pe- people will sit, make the statement, we are all the children of God. And that is not true. The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 1, and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So, and, and all that in there uh, is. So, the Bible says that God created us. So we are all a creation of God. God created every single human being, just like He created earth. But, John 1.12 says, only they that, read it again, it says, but as many, so it's open to anybody, as many as want to do it, as many, but here's, here's the, the catch, as receive Him, referring to Jesus Christ, to them, them that received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. So who gets the power to become a son of God? They that receive Him. And then He clarifies it at the end. He says, even to them that believe on His name. So how do you receive Jesus Christ? You believe on His name. And when you believe Him, the Bible says you become the Son of God. God gives you the power to become the Son of God. And you get born again, spiritually, into the family of God. That's why we will refer to our Heavenly Father. Or we'll pray and we'll say, uh, Dear Heavenly Father, God is my Father because I got spiritually born again into the family of God and I became a son of God or a child of God when I received Jesus Christ and I believed on His name. That's very clear from John chapter number 1 and John chapter number 3. We are not all children of God. The Bible makes reference to some people being the children of the devil. Remember, Jesus Christ looked at the Pharisees and He said, Ye are of your father the devil. So, obviously, you know, and that's a whole different sermon in and of itself. We'll preach that another time. But, according to the Bible, only those who receive Jesus Christ, only those who believe on His name, are the sons or the children of God. Someone who says, I reject Jesus Christ, is not a son of God. Because they haven't been born again into the family of God. You've got to get born again. Now, here's the great things about this new birth, this spiritual birth. Jesus Christ compares the spiritual birth to a physical birth. Uh, so let's look at some of the comparisons that we can think about. Birth is a one-time event. Birth is a one-time event. I was born on February 1st, 1986. Now, I don't see anybody writing that down. Somebody needs to write that down and put that on their calendar. I'm just joking. Make sure I get a gift on... No, I'm just joking. I was born February 1st, 1986. Now, that was a one-time event. There was a specific time. There was a specific date when I came into this world. And there was a specific time when you came into this world. My dad's kind of funny because he, uh, for a long time... I think he just decided on a date now. But for a long time, we... Uh, he, we were, he was... Well, we were all, my whole family, we were born in Venezuela, but my dad was, you know, he's, he's in his 60s, early 60s, right? Early 60s. So, uh, I, he was born in January of 1950, and he was born in Venezuela, and so that's already kind of an unorganized place. But even more than that, he wasn't born in the city, he was born in a farmland, like in, in the country. And um, he was born... And then a few days later, they brought him into the city, and they went to the hospital, and they had the birth certificate done and all that. Well, they, they weren't exactly sure when he was born. So for the longest time, we just kind of celebrated his birthday. Like It was either January 21st or January 22nd. Like We didn't know, you know which, which day he was born. And he didn't know which day he was born, just because they didn't keep good records uh, where he was and when he was born there. So, but, but here's the thing. Even though he didn't know the specific date that he was born, or he didn't know the specific hour that he was born, he was born at a specific time. Physical birth happens at a specific time. And at the same, in the same way, spiritual birth happens at a specific time. There ought to be, if you are saved tonight, there ought to be a time that you can look back in your life and say, at this moment is when I got born again. Now let me explain that to you. I can't remember the day that I got saved. I can't remember the hour I got saved. I don't remember. But, but I have a memory. I remember being a four-year-old boy. And I remember... I was four years old and we went to church and I remember my brother got saved that, that, that day in church and we came home and I was too embarrassed to get saved at church and we came home and I remember I talked to my dad and I said, Dad, I don't want to die and go to hell. Um, I, I want to get saved because I, I want to see the kingdom of God. I don't want to go to hell. And I remember my dad took his Bible and he opened it and he showed me from the scriptures how I was a sinner and how, how my sin had condemned me to hell. Even though I was four years old, I was still a sinner. And my sin had condemned me to hell. But Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to pay for my sin. He died so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. He died and went to hell in my stead. And if I were simply to receive Jesus Christ, if I was simply to just believe on His name, 
that he would give me the gift of eternal life and I could go to heaven when I die and because Jesus Christ paid for my sins. And I remember that time, I don't like I said, I don't remember the day, I don't remember the hour, I remember it was a Sunday, but I but I, I, I there's a time in my life that I can look back and say, at this moment I Romans ten nine says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart thou shalt be saved. And I remember there was a time when I was four years old when I bowed my head with my dad and I confessed with my mouth and I, and I, and I spoke to God with my mouth and I said, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve to go to hell, but I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And at that moment, when I confessed with my mouth and I believed in my heart, the Bible says that God gave me salvation. The Bible says that I received Jesus Christ and He gave me the power to become the sons of God. At that moment, I got saved. I got born again. And there was a specific time when I got born again, just like there was a specific time when I had my first birth. Now, sometimes people will say this to me. Well, I've always been a believer. Well, no one's always been a believer. I mean, we're not born believers. We're born sinners, is what the Bible says. You've got to get, come to the point where you decided, I believe on Jesus Christ. And at that moment is when you get saved. So, uh, a comparison there between births is a, it's a one-time event. You've, you've got to be able to look back and say, at this moment is when I got saved. At this moment is when I got uh Born again. There should be a definite uh, place and time, and you might not remember the exact place. You might not remember the right, the exact time, but you should have a memory. There was a time when I didn't believe. There was a time when maybe I didn't understand it, and then someone explained it to me, and then I asked Jesus to save me, and I got saved. But see, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll talk to people, and I'll explain to them the gospel, and I'll explain to them that look, all you got to do is believe on Jesus Christ. All you got to do is ask Him to save you. All you got to do is ask Him to. Uh, to forgive you of your sins, and He'll give you eternal life. And people say to me, "Well, that, I do that every night." You know, I knock on somebody's door, and I'll say, "Hey, uh, let me." You know, hi, my name is Pastor Roger Manis, coming from Verity Baptist Church. I'd like to give you an invitation to church. And they say, "Oh, thank you." And then I'll say, "Well, listen. More important than going to church, let me ask you a question. Do you know if you were to die today, if you'd go to heaven or hell, or maybe you don't know, uh, maybe you never thought about it?" And and every week, this is what happens. People tell me, "I don't know." If I died right now, I don't know if I would go to heaven or hell. I'd like to go to heaven. And I'll say, well, let me, would you allow me to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven today? And they'll say, sure. And I'll take my Bible, and I'll show them, just like my dad showed me when I was four years old. You're a sinner. And they'll say, yeah, I agree with that. I'm a sinner. Your sin has a payment. Has There's wages for your sin, which is death, which is hell, which is a lake of fire. They'll say, I agree with that. I'm condemned to hell. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins. I agree with that. Uh, and if you were simply to ask Him to save you, since He already paid the price, He's offering you His salvation. If you would simply accept, receive Him, He would give you eternal life, and you could get born again, you could get saved today. And, and this, here's what they'll say to me. I do that every night. I'm thinking to myself, that makes no sense. Because Jesus Christ said being born again, He equated it to a physical birth. How many times have I been born physically? Do I, every, February 1st, 19, or, or February 1st, every February 1st of every year, do I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? That would stink for mothers, wouldn't it? <laughs> if every time their child had a birthday, instead of putting a, my wife thinks it's a big deal because our kids are born, both born in September. And they're about a week away, so we'll literally have one birthday party, and then we'll have another birthday party. Imagine if she had to, like, give birth to them every single year, you know. But people will say that. Well, I do that every night. I get born again every night. Well, no. The thing is, you born again means you get born again one more time after you've been born physically. So you got born physically, and then you got born again spiritually. It's not you get born again, 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 again. I mean, you only have one physical birth. And if you only have one physical birth, in the same way, you only have one spiritual birth. Because here's the thing. God says that He gives you eternal life. When He gives you that life, see, when my children were born, my wife and I, we gave them life. And they were born. And they became our sons. And God says when you receive Jesus Christ, He gives you eternal life. We'll see that in John 3. He gives you life, just like I gave my sons life. And they were born. And they became my children. And here's the best part of that. My kids will always be my kids. Even in eternity. Even when we die and we're in heaven and we've been there for 10,000 years... Joshua and Joel Jimenez, for the rest of history, will always be the sons of Roger Jimenez. They're always my sons. And, and in the same way, that's why Jesus, that's why the Bible says that God gives us eternal life. Because when you get born again into God's family, when He gives you the power to become the sons of God, you're always His son. I'm always God's son. Now, I may have 
I have two sons, let's say one of them grows up and they just serve God and they come to church and they love their mom and they love their dad and they just are doing good things with their life and let's say another one grows up and he says he hates church and he hates God and let's say he joins a gang or he goes into drugs or he, he does a, a lot of horrible stuff with this. Now here's the thing, one may be living a good life, one may be living a bad life, they're still both my sons. I still love them both equally. Now one may have a good relationship with their father. And one may not have a good relationship with their father, but for the rest of eternity, they're both my sons. And God says, when, he, when you get born again into the family of God, when He gives you the power to become sons of God, He says, now, I want you to do right, and if you do right in your life, you'll have a good relationship with your Heavenly Father, but you may have a bad relationship with your Heavenly Father, but you're still God's son. You're still in the family. That, that is an eternal thing, forever. So, we see there... Uh, that, that this, this, this thing of being born again is a very important doctrine if we understand it because Christ compared being born again spiritually uh, to being born physically and the attributes there are that you're, once you're born you're part of the family and once you're born that, that never changes and, uh, and, and it's a one time event and you're given I gave my sons life and God gives us eternal life but let's just let's get off that subject and look at John 3.8 Look at John 3.8. We'll look at some characteristics of the spiritual birth. Some characteristics of the spiritual birth. Look at what God said, uh, what Jesus Christ says to Nicodemus. He says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, now I hope you didn't miss that. Jesus Christ is giving Nicodemus an example. He's trying to explain to him how the spiritual birth is. Because look what he says. The wind bloweth where it listeth. So he's giving an example of the wind. And he says, Thou, look what he says, Hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So, now here's the thing. I used to read this verse and I, I didn't really study it. And I would see, man, Jesus Christ is, is comparing the spiritual birth to the wind. And I thought that's kind of weird because the wind is something we can't see, but it's something we can feel. And I was always taught that, that's, that, that salvation is not something you can feel. You know, the Pentecostals will say, oh, when you get saved, you get filled with the Spirit, and you get all this, you know, you get all these feelings, and you get all this tingling, and you speak in tongues, and all this stuff. And it's like, that's not found in the Bible. Salvation is not a feeling. Salvation is what you believe. So I always was confused by this verse, till I really sat down and looked at it, and I noticed, Jesus Christ didn't say, the wind bloweth, and you feel it. Look what He says. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. So Jesus Christ says, you hear the wind, but you can not tell whence it cometh or where it goeth. So he says, the wind, you hear it, but you can't see it. And then look at the last part of verse 8. He says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So according to Jesus Christ, when someone is born of the Spirit, you can hear it, but you can't see it. Does that make sense? Let me quote for you one of my favorite verses again. I just talked about it. Romans 10, 9 says this, that if... Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, if someone were to confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus, is that something we could hear? That is, correct? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead. Now, when someone believes, when someone has faith in something, is that something we can see? No. He says, Thou shalt be saved. For with the Heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's very important doctrine. God says, Jesus Christ said, when someone gets born again, that process of the spiritual birth is something you can hear because they confess with their mouth. With their mouth they say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Remember in Acts 8 when the Ethiopian eunuch uh, was getting saved there and he, and he said, what does hinder me to be baptized? And uh, Philip said, if thou believest, thou mayest. And he opened his mouth and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 8. So... Philip heard him say that. He didn't see it. He just heard him and he said, Alright, let's go baptize you because you're saved. So salvation is something you hear because people confess with their mouth. But it's something, it's faith. You can't see it. Now here's the thing. People, people believe, and there's a, a section of independent fundamental Baptists that are just, a, just completely worthless. I mean, just piece of trash Baptists. Just to think of them upsets me. Because there's people out there who will teach this. That when somebody gets saved, unless we see their life change, they didn't actually get saved. 
So unless they repent of their sins, unless we can see some something in their in their life change, then they didn't actually get saved. And uh, I was advised uh, to to go on online, and uh, there's this there's this website. I'm just gonna call it out right now uh, so that it can go down in history that I'm not for it but this website it's called Way of Life and it's these fundamental Baptists they have this this uh, church directory and, and I was told hey you should go on there and you should put your church on there so it's online people can find it and I thought hey, that's a good idea so I went on, on the website and I started uh, putting our church information up there so, so that so I could go on their church directory and in order to put your church on this church directory uh, this Way of Life website which is uh, led by some clown named David Cloud um, you have to fill out this, this questionnaire so they have this, these questions about, uh, and they ask you what you believe, you know, and they want to make sure you're their type of Baptist or whatever. And one of the questions was this, is your type of church the type of church that requires to see evidence of someone's salvation before you baptize them? I thought to myself, that is insane. So they believe that somebody can get saved, somebody can come to church and say, wow, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave, and I'm trusting Him to take me to heaven when I die. And then they can say, I'd like to get baptized. And they would say, no, no, no. We have to watch your life to make sure that you actually got saved. That is so unscriptural, it's not even funny. I mean, again, Acts 8, the, 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 the eunuch said, what does Henry me baptize? Did Philip say to him, well, i got to watch your life and make sure it actually stuck? No. What did Philip say? If thou believest, thou mayest. And he opened his mouth and said, I believe, and then he baptized him. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, or, yeah, Hebrews 11, it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, and here's what it says, the evidence of things not seen. So Jesus Christ, in John chapter number 3, said, hey, salvation is something you hear. Somebody confesses with their mouth. Somebody says, I'm saved, but you don't see it. He said, it's like the wind. I hear it, but I can't see it. He said, that's salvation. But these Baptists want to come around, uh, 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 along and say, no, no, no. We got to see a change in your life. We got to see evidence. We got to see you repent of your sins. We got to see you live a good life. We got to see you stop sinning. And that's not in the Bible. If you want evidence, the evidence is faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11. It doesn't say, you know, you can look it up if you want. Faith is the evidence. And Jesus Christ said, it's so clear, John 3, 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whether it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So if you get born of the Spirit, it's something that you can hear with your... that they, that they say, because you can hear it, but you can't see it. Because in order to get saved, you have to open your mouth and confess to Jesus Christ that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart, which can't be seen, that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And I'm sorry. You know, and Way of Life, and David Cloud, and this repentance garbage can just go to hell if they want to, because that's not in the Bible, and the salvation they're teaching is not in the Bible, and if somebody were to tell me that I have to repent of my sins in order to be saved, you're insane. And let me tell you something else. All these people walk around saying, oh, well, you, you believe that salvation is only what you believe. You're giving people... This is what people tell me every week of my life. I, I hear this all the time. People say to me, you're giving people a license to sin. I would, I would seriously put our preaching here at Verity Baptist Church next to any church in this, in this city and see who's preaching more sin and who's preaching more holiness. I mean, we preach here that you ought to live a holy life. We preach here against, I mean, we're, we preach against anything you can think of. We preach against people drinking alcohol and we preach against people cursing and we preach against people watching television and we preach against people watching uh, filthy movies. I mean, we preach against all sorts of sin. I, I would wager that we preach more Bible and more against sin here than any other church in this city. Because here, you're going to go to any church on Sunday morning and you, here's what you're going to hear. Jesus loves you. Come as you are. Jesus, and look, come as you are. But we're going to give you the Bible when you're here. And people say, oh, well, you give people the, 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 a license to sin. Look, we're not giving anybody the license to sin. But we're not going to try to scare people into giving money to the church or, or, or becoming just like me so that they can be saved. Hey, look, salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And if you want to believe on Jesus Christ and never come to Verity Baptist Church, you're still saved. According to the Bible. But if you come to church, then we're going to... Here, here's, here's the difference. Because we teach you this. God is your Father, and when you're doing wrong, He might have to give you a, a spanking. 
You know, just like my kids, when they do wrong, we have to discipline them. Because we love them. So, so we do preach against sin. And we preach hard, and I, and I would, again, I, I'm not trying to be arrogant when I say this, but I would put our preaching against sin up against any church in this, in this city, and I would be surprised that there's anybody preaching uh, harder on, on sin found in the Bible than Verity Baptist Church. So we're not just giving people a license to sin, but look, you can get saved, and you don't have to turn over a new leaf, you don't have to repent of your sins, you don't have to show anything for it, because Jesus Christ said, it's something you can't see. It's all you got to do is hear. So somebody says to me, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins. I believe that He is going to take me to heaven when I die. And I ask Him to save me. Hey, praise the Lord. They're saved. Well, what if they're in drugs? What if they're in fornication? What if they're in adultery? Hey, look, salvation isn't of works. It's of faith. That's what the Bible says. But look, look at verse 9. John 3, 9. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? So Nicodemus is just listening to Jesus Christ go on and on. He said, hey, you got to be born again. You're not, it's not a, two physical births. It's a physical birth and then a spiritual birth. It's something that you can't see. It's something that you hear. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And Nicodemus is confused. He says, how can these things be? And I think this is interesting. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? And knowest not these things? Jesus Christ expected Nicodemus to already know he must be born again. See, here's another thing Baptists like to preach about that isn't scriptural. They say, well, there's these things called dispensations. I talked about this on Sunday night. And you probably never even heard the word dispensation. Praise the Lord. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about. But if you do, there's these things called dispensations. People made these up. And they say, God dealt with people differently in different dispensations. So I'll say like, in the Old Testament, people got saved... uh, through works. But in the New Testament, they get saved through grace. They say, because God dealt with people differently. Well, that's, that's a bunch of garbage. And, here's, and here's, here's a perfect example. When John chapter number 3 is the New Testament. So, the New Testament wasn't written yet. So, all they had, when Jesus Christ was speaking to Nicodemus, all they had was the Old Testament. And when Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus Christ was... Astounded, he said, Aren't thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Jesus Christ expected him to understand that salvation was a birth, that salvation was a gift, that salvation was by faith, that salvation wasn't works salvation, it wasn't something you could see, it was something you heard somebody say they were saved, and then you couldn't see it. He expected him to know that. God has dealt with those in the Old Testament the same as He dealt with those in the New Testament. He expects us all to be born again. There has never been a change in dispensation. There's never been a change when when somebody... Well, before in the Old Testament, they had to do all these sacrifices and then they got saved because they kept these works. That's not how it worked. It wasn't that you got saved by works and now you get saved by grace. Um, Let me give you some Bible on that. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Acts chapter number 10 and verse 43 says this... To him, referring to Jesus Christ, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remissions of sins. So the Bible says that the prophets in the Old Testament preach about Jesus Christ. And they preach what? That if you believe in him, you will receive remissions of sins. So according to Acts 10.43, how were people saved back in the days of the prophets? In Jeremiah, and in Isaiah, and in Ezekiel. They were saved. By believing in Jesus Christ. Now, at that time, they didn't know the name Jesus Christ. You know, when they did that animal sacrifice, like we were preaching about in, in Genesis there, how, how uh, Cain and Abel had to bring a sacrifice to God, and they offered a sacrifice. It was still an act of faith. They were, they were coming to God, and they would take a lamb, and they would kill that lamb, and they were saying to God, we believe that one day, you, God, are going to provide a lamb who is going to die. Right now, this lamb, as we kill it, and as we perform this sacrifice, all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, the Bible says, they were a shadow of things to come. And as they performed that sacrifice, they were saying, we believe that one day, in the future, a Messiah is going to come, who's going to be this lamb, who's going to die for my sins, and they were saved by faith. They were looking to the cross, now we look back to the cross, and we say, we believe that the Messiah has come, His name was Jesus Christ, and He died on the cross for my sins. But salvation was always by grace. And if it wasn't, then explain this verse. Genesis 6.8 says this, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Ephesians 2.89 says, For by grace are ye saved. So according to the Bible, Noah found grace. Can you get more Old Testament than Noah? I want you to see these verses. Go with me please. You're in John. Just go with me to the book of Romans. John asks Romans. And go to Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. And look at verse 1. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. I mean Noah, we're talking about the ark. That's pretty Old Testament. I mean we read about Noah. Here in a few, few weeks we're going to be preaching about Noah on Sunday nights. Why are we going to be preaching about Noah? Because on Sunday nights we're preaching through the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. I mean, I don't think you can get any more Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, chapter number 6, the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Look at Romans chapter number 4 and look at verse 1. What shall we say then? That Abraham... Now, we all recognize Abraham, right? Abraham from the Old Testament. Can you get more Old Testament than Abraham? Abraham's pretty Old Testament, right? It says, What shall we say then? That Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found... Look at verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works... Now look at what it says. If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. So then, if, if, if Abraham could perform enough works to be justified, man, he's got something to glory about. But look what he says. But not before God. Look at verse 3. For what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God. It's amazing to me how you can go anywhere in the Bible, any dispensation, and you're going to find this word, believe, all over the scriptures. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So what was counted unto Abraham for righteousness? His belief in God. Look at verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. Remember what did Noah found? He found grace, right? But look what Romans 4.4 4 says. To him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. On, on Sunday morning we were preaching uh, about the great white throne judgment. And we are preaching that one day all these unsaved people, all these unbelievers are going to stand before God. And the Bible says that God is going to judge them according to their works. Because here's the thing. Salvation, you get two choices. You either accept Jesus Christ by faith, or you can attempt to work your way to heaven. You can do the, You can attempt to work your way to heaven if you want. And God says, if you want to do that, then I will judge you according to your works. But the thing is, when you're judged according to your works, you've got to be judged according to the law. And when you're judged according to the law, you will always be found wanting. Because no man can keep the law. Everyone breaks the law. You say, well, I've never killed. Yeah, but you've told the lie. Well, I, I, I've, never, I've never done this, or I've never done that. But we've done something. There's more commandments in the Bible than just the Ten Commandments. There's thousands of commandments in the Bible, and we break them every day. And look at what verse 4 says. He says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. So, I, I want you to catch this. God says, if you want to work to get your way to heaven, that reward of heaven, He says, and the reward isn't going to be reckoned of grace. He said, I won't give it to you of grace. But He said, but here's the thing. It'll be of debt. It says, but of debt. Because God says, if you want to try to work off your sin debt, God says you will always be in debt because you sin so much. There's nothing you can do to stop to pay for your sin. I will never be able to pay for my sin because I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ could pay for my sin because He was God in the flesh because He never sinned because He died on the cross for my sins. But God says, go ahead. You want to work your way to heaven? Go ahead. But here's the problem. You're always going to be in debt. I mean, is that what it says? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Romans 4.4 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. He says, when you work your way to heaven, you, you say no to grace, but you say yes to debt, because you're always in debt. Look at verse 5, Romans 4.5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him. Somebody should read that to David Cloud. To him that worketh not, but believeth. That's faith. On him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. I mean, does it get any more clear than that? Can, can we go anywhere else? I mean, we went to Noah, we went to Abraham, we went to Romans, we went to John, and just over and over and over, God is saying salvation is not something you can see, it's not something you can earn, you can't work your way to heaven. If you try to work to heaven, you're going to just be in debt. He says salvation is to him that believes, he says to him that worketh not. The person that does no work, but believeth. On him that justified the God. His faith is counted for righteousness. Look at verse 6. Even as David, another Old Testament character. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man. 
unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. So David said, hey, a man is blessed when God imputeth, when God gives him righteousness without works. So now we've hit Noah, now we've hit, hit Abraham, now we've hit King David. I mean, we're getting a pretty, a pretty good picture of uh, their dispensations, right? The dispensation is a bunch of garbage. There is no dispensation. Salvation has always been by faith. Salvation has always been by grace. Salvation has always been Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. The Bible says before God even created earth, He already planned. He already knew that one day Adam and Eve were going to sin and they were going to need a Savior. And He already had planned. Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, He was already the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Because salvation has always been of faith, not of works. Look at verse 7. Romans 4, 7. Saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And look, my sins have been forgiven. And the Bible says that I'm blessed because of that. You, you want more proof? We won't take the time to read it. But if you want to jot this down, Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. The entire chapter of Hebrews is all about Old Testament characters that were saved by faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. If you want more proof, salvation has never been of works. They didn't get saved by works in the Old Testament. They don't get saved by works in the, in the New Testament. And when the millennium starts, it's not going to be a different dispensation where now they get saved by works again. It will always be through Jesus Christ. Okay, so we made that pretty clear. Let's go back to John chapter number 3, because uh, we still got a lot of verses to get through. Look at verse 11. John chapter number 3, and look at verse 11. John chapter number 3, verse 11. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall we believe if I tell you heavenly things? And we just find here a principle that God, God that Jesus Christ is trying to teach. He says, look, if you don't receive, or if you don't believe, because remember, how do you believe? By receiving. He says, if you don't receive the earthly things I'm trying to teach you, I can't move on to the heavenly things. Many times, God, you, you know, we get to this place and we say, man, I feel like I'm just not growing spiritually anymore. I feel like I'm reading the Bible and I just can't grow anymore. Or I can't get anymore. Well, the thing is, God has this thing where He won't move on to the deeper things until you've accepted or received the, the first things. Sometimes God will give you something and until you deal with that subject, He won't move you on. Alright, but let's look at uh, verse 13. This is very important. I want to get to this. John 3.13. Look what it says. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Did you catch that? Jesus Christ said, No man hath ascended up to heaven. He says, No one has ascended to heaven. That word ascend means, you know, like they flew up to heaven. He said, No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, he said, Even the Son of Man, which is Jesus Christ. And then look what he says. He says, Which is in heaven. So, Jesus Christ is telling Nicodemus. He's looking at Nicodemus in the eye. And he's saying, Hey, look, I'm the Son of Man. I am also the Son of God. I'm 100% man. I'm 100% God. I can ascend to heaven. I can come down from heaven. And he said, And by the way, I'm in heaven right now. Now, does that make any sense? If I were to say to you, hey, uh, Rebecca, I am talking to you right now, but by the way, I'm also right now upstairs. Does that make any sense? That wouldn't be possible, right? If I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, and I say, hey, Rebecca, I'm talking to you right now, but at the same time, I'm upstairs. You say, you're insane. But that's what Jesus Christ just told Nicodemus. He said, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So he said, I'm in heaven. And what Jesus Christ was trying to teach Nicodemus, because remember Nicodemus say, said, we know that our teacher from, came from God. And he was trying to teach Nicodemus, I'm only just a teacher, Nicodemus. I am God. He says, I'm talking to you right now, but I'm in heaven right now. Because I am omnipresent, because I am God in the flesh, because I am God. And that's what he was trying to teach him. Jesus Christ said, as he was standing in front of Nicodemus, that he was, at that moment, also in heaven. Now let me just share with you something real quick. I've got my piece of trash NIV here. I just want to share with you something. Because um, every chance I get to badmouth the New International Version, I like to take it. And I want to read for you what the New International Version, uh, another translation, or you know, another version of the Bible, which is really just a perversion, 
And let me read for you what the NIV says. John chapter number 3. Now, now read verse 13 and read it. I want you to read John 3.13 out of your King James Bible. As I read John 3.13 out of the uh, NIV. Alright? John 3.13 out of your King James Bible. I'll read it out of the King James Bible one more time. And then read it along with me as I read it out of the NIV. John 3.13 says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So he said, I'm in heaven right now. Let me read for you John 3.13 out of the piece of trash NIV. It says, No one has ever gone into heaven. Now that's already different. Jesus Christ didn't say no one has ever gone into heaven. I mean, all sorts of Old Testament saints who have died, Noah, David, Abraham, they all believed in God, right? So when they died, they went to heaven. Already we have a, a doctrine. Jesus Christ didn't say no one's gone to heaven. He said no one has ascended to heaven. You know, I, you know, there's this guy on televi- television. I, I don't know if he's still around, but I don't, I want you to know this before I even say it. I don't watch television. I don't even own a television. If you look around my house, you will not find a television. But back when I was a teenager and I used to watch television, there was this guy named, I want to say his name was David Blaine, some sort of a witch or sorcerer or something. And he did this thing where he like ascended, you know, like he floated or whatever. I don't know if it's true or not. The guy's probably demon-possessed if he was able to do it. But, Jesus Christ said, no one's ascended. I mean, that guy, I don't know, maybe he did ascend three inches off the ground. But look, my God ascended all the way up to heaven. Three inches isn't very impressive to me. But God says that no man has ascended up to heaven. But the NIV says... No one has ever gone into heaven. So already, we see the New International Version is just stupid. But it says, no one has ever gone into heaven. Keep, just read, read uh, the King James as I read this. No one has ever gone into heaven except one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Period. The end of the verse. What's missing? Which is in heaven. Which is in heaven. So the New International Version just took, just stripped the deity away from Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ said, Hey, I'm talking to you, Nicodemus. I'm, you're looking at me. I ascended to heaven. I came down from heaven. And I'm also, by the way, I'm in heaven right now. Not according to the NIV. According to the NIV, He's just a man. So that's any, that had nothing to do with the service, but any chance I get to badmouth that piece of trash, I'd like to take it. So, let's look at verse 14. We just got to do it quickly because I'm, I'm already out of time. But let's just look at verse 14. John 3, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, if you'd like to turn with me real quick to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Numbers. uh, Chapter number 21. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter number 21. And look at verse 5. Jesus Christ is making a reference to an Old Testament story. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So let's read that passage real quick. Numbers chapter number 21, look at verse 5. Numbers 21, verse 5. The, the, the passage that Jesus Christ is alluding to. He says, And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord, look at verse 6, Numbers 21.6. The children of Israel, they're in the desert, they're whining and they're complaining to God again. Look at verse 6, this is how God deals with it. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. So God got tired of their whining, God got tired of their complaining, and He sends them serpents. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now, I want you to make note of this. They asked Moses to pray unto the Lord that he take the serpents away from them. Look at verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass, that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass, that if a serpent had been any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So what's the story? They're complaining to God. God sends serpents. The serpents start biting them. Many people start dying. They pray to God. They, they tell Moses, pray to God that he takes the serpents away. God never took the serpents away. He just told Moses, take a pole, make a, a, fire, make a, a serpent out of brass, put the serpent on the pole, lift the pole up, and whoever looks at the pole, whoever looks at the serpent, they won't die when they get bit by the serpent. Now, just, just for your information, you might know this, but 
in America, we have a symbol for our, our medicine. If you, if, you're, if, if you want to take notice, next time you see like an, maybe an ambulance drive by or something like that, uh, a lot of times for, for doctors or for medicine, we have a symbol of a pole with a snake around it. Have you ever seen, has anybody ever seen that before? That comes out of Numbers uh, chapter number 21. Because the people were dying because of the, the serpents, and they looked at this pole, uh, this serpent on a pole, and then they would be healed. And that comes out of, uh, and that, that symbol that we have used in our nation for hundreds of years came straight out of Numbers chapter number 21 and John chapter number 3. So you can tell Barack Obama that yes, this was founded as a Christian nation and he doesn't know what he's talking about. But, but I, want you to, I want you to see this. <laughs> the serpents, I want you to see this. The serpent in the Bible always represents sin. During, what was Satan in the, old, in, in the Garden of Eden? A serpent, right? He came to them as a serpent. So the serpent always represents something wicked, always represents sin. The, the sin, the serpents came and they bit the people, and the people began to die, just like sin today will infect us with its venom, and we will die, not only a physical death, but a spiritual death, which is the lake of fire. And I was always confused by this. He had to put the serpent on the pole and lift the serpent up and people had to look at the serpent. And I was always confused when I would read this because Jesus Christ said that as the serpent was lifted up... Uh, let, me, let me read it for you so I don't misquote it. Jesus Christ said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And I was confused that Jesus Christ equated Himself to the serpent because He said the serpent had to be lifted up in a pole and one day when I am crucified on a cross, I will be lifted up and just like that serpent if somebody looks to me if somebody believes on me I will heal them of the venom of the serpent or of the sin. And I was always confused, why does God equate Himself to the serpent? Because the serpent was lifted up and that serpent represents sin it represents venom. Well, let me read for you a verse just real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 21 says this about Jesus Christ. He says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us. The Bible says that God made Jesus Christ to be sin for us. He says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The Bible says that Jesus Christ knew no sin. But when He died on the cross, the Bible says that He literally became sin for us. When He took our the sin, He didn't just take my sin. He took the sin of all mankind, all humanity. And when He took that sin upon Him, the Bible says that He literally became sin. He never knew sin, but He became sin. So that's why He said, you, you know when that the, the serpents, they bit you and they brought death, and you had to put a serpent on the pole in order to be saved from the serpents? He said, well that sin, it bites you and it gives you death, it gives you spiritual death, and I have to become that serpent. That thing that brings you death, that sin, that's what I became when I was lifted up. And He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It's what, uh, I'm misquoting that, I don't... Uh, John three, but John three fourteen says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Look at verse fifteen. That whosoever, what's that word? Believeth in him should not perish. It means they won't go to hell, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth. In Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I don't know how we can just... I mean, I feel like I'm just being so repetitive as a preacher, but it's just every time I open the Bible, it seems like I come across this word, believe. It says, if you believe, you're saved. If you don't believe, you're condemned. I mean, salvation is by belief, by faith, not of works. Can it get any clearer than that? Now, let me just give you an example real quick. Go to Mark 16.16. We're almost done. The other, we, won't, we won't go into the other uh, verses. They're, this is the main subject I wanted to get into. There's other verses. We'll, we'll have to skip them. But go to Mark 16.16. Matthew, Mark. is the second book in the, uh, book in the Bible, in the New Testament. Mark 16.16. Let me read for you John 3.15 again. It says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, remember I told you uh, when we were talking about uh, being born of water, 
Some, some people believe that when the Bible says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, in, in verse 6 of John 3. Well, some people believe that when it's saying that water, it's talking about baptism. They say, no, 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 see, uh, when it says you got to be born of the water um, and of the Spirit, it means you got to believe and be baptized. And people, Some people believe if you don't get baptized, you will never be saved. And there's a lot of people that believe that. Pentecostals believe that. They believe that you have to get baptized in order to be saved. Um, I mean, almost every Christian, believe, uh, Catholics believe that. That's why they baptize babies, because they say, well, you got to get baptized to get saved, so we might as well just get it out of the way, and they sprinkle babies, which is not even baptism, because the word baptism means immersion. Immersion. They get put, dunked into the water. Jesus Christ was dunked into the water. The eunuch was dunked into the water. But, but they believe that. Now, let me prove to you that... And really, this whole baptism thing is, a, is an entire sermon in and of itself. But let me just give you one proof that baptism is not part of, of, of salvation. Well, number one, getting baptized is a work. If I get baptized, that's something I do. So, I mean, we've gone through it. I, I don't know what else to do with that. We've gone through it a thousand times. Salvation is not of works. It's of what you believe. But are you in Mark 16, 16? Look at, look at what it says there. Mark 16, 16. It says, He that believeth, we run into that word again, right? Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So people say, see there? It says that if you believe and you're baptized, you'll be saved. But keep reading. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So what damns you? Did it say, but he that... Is not baptized shall be damned? No. It says, He that believeth not shall be damned. So the Bible says, He that believeth, in one verse, in the entire Bible, it says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So people go crazy and they say, See, you must be baptized to be saved. But in the same verse, it says, But if you don't believe, then you're damned. So what saves you? What condemns you? Not believing. What saves you? Believing. John 3.15 says it, For God did not ascend into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. See, God could say, he that believeth and is baptized will be saved. God could say, he that believeth and does jumping jacks could be saved. God could say, he that believeth and wears a clown suit will be saved. Because what saves you is believing. But then in the same verse, he says, but if you don't believe, he that believeth not is is damned. So salvation doesn't save you. I mean, baptism doesn't save you. Believe is what saves you. He that believeth and is baptized, shall be saved. What can say he that believeth and does anything will be saved? Because anyone who believes will be saved. But what will damn your soul to hell is not believing. In the same verse, which fits in perfectly with John chapter number 3, which fits in perfectly with Romans chapter number 4, which fits in perfectly with Genesis, Abraham, Noah, with Psalms and David, and First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel, fits in perfectly through the entire Bible that salvation is all about what you believe. Not what you do. Let's just read these verses real quickly and we'll be done. John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation, that light came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. That word light is talking about Jesus Christ. I don't have time to prove it to you, but just you can study it out. Jesus Christ is the light. And the Bible says, this is the condemnation, that light, Jesus Christ, is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And look at verse 20 and 21. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So God says, when you're doing something evil, when you're doing something bad, you don't want to come to the light because you don't want your deeds, you don't want what you're doing to be reproved. Look at verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are right in God. So when you're doing right, when you're living your life in a good way, then hey, you want, you want to get as close to Jesus Christ as possible. You want to get as close to the light as possible. Because you have nothing to hide. But when you're doing evil, you don't want to get near Jesus Christ. Because you don't want your deeds to be made manifest. Do you see that? Romans 3, 20 and 21. See, light is a good thing in darkness. If you want to see. I, my, I was, my wife and I, we, um, we have this porch light out here that we turn on. And the porch light is pretty good. It, it gives us a lot of light. But the problem is this. When the porch light is on, the light reflects straight into our, our bedroom upstairs. So when my wife is putting the baby to sleep, a lot of times she'll yell out, you know, turn the porch light off. Because the light will just be so powerful coming into our room, it's almost like we have a light on in our room. If the porch light is on, well, that's annoying if you've got a baby who you're trying to put to sleep. So the light is annoying if you want darkness.
Now the light's a good thing. When, when the room is dark and I'm, I'm getting up for work, you know, 5 in the morning or whatever, and I'm getting up for work, and I can't see because, you know, I got all the sleep in my eyes and, and I'm not awake yet, and, uh, and, I, and I need to see, then I need the light. I need the light in darkness if I want to see. But if I want it to be dark, the light is annoying. And that's our world today. Jesus Christ said, I'm the light. And the light, Jesus Christ, could do a lot of good to this dark world. But the problem is this world doesn't want light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The Bible says, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So if, if you're the type of person who shies away from the Bible, who shies away from this type of Bible preaching where we just call out sin and we would just try to learn the Bible and study the Bible and... Uh, and, 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 you know, we're, we're in John, but we're going to Numbers, and we're going to Romans, and we're going to Acts, and we're going to Corinthians, and we're just trying to learn God. If you shy away from this type of preaching or this type of church that just kind of says it how it is, maybe it's because your deeds are evil. But if you say, man, I love that type of preaching. I, 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 I want to learn the Bible. I love Jesus Christ. I want... Then you know that's a good test saying, man, I must be doing something right because I don't shy away from the light because I have nothing to hide. I want my deeds to be made manifest. So that's, that's a good... Uh, a, a good test for each one of us whenever we get to that place where I say man I don't, I don't want to go to church or I don't want to read the Bible or I don't want to be around the light maybe it's because our deeds are evil but if you say man I just love Jesus Christ I love him more today than I ever have and I love the Bible more today than I ever have and I just love everything that has to do with God and the Bible then that's a good test saying man you, you must be doing good in your life because you're not afraid you're not shying away from the light so the, the light Jesus Christ is a good thing Alright, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. And Lord, this this passage was just this conversation.